And that is our desire that the Lord would come and reign. I hope he's reigning in your heart and in your life today. If you brought a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and find the last verse. Yes, I said the last verse. We've been in 1 Corinthians 15 for quite some time, working our way all the way through it verse by verse. Today we come to the conclusion of this great chapter. I told you at the beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is unquestionably the greatest treatise ever written and included in Scripture on life, death, resurrection, and eternal life. This morning, as we look to the conclusion, I want us to be aware that Paul has made a tremendous defense for the reality of resurrection based on eyewitnesses, based upon eyewitness testimony, based upon reality that none can deny. There are figures who make giant footprints in the Christian landscape. Many of you know the names Billy Graham. Most of us are familiar with him. In centuries gone by, there were others. Spurgeon, Moody, the Wesleys. I was reading a portion of an excerpt, if you will, from a journal of John Wesley not long ago. I found it so interesting. He was writing about the day that his mother, Susanna, died. Susanna Wesley has been written about quite a bit, but a lot of folks don't know her story. Certainly they know the story of her children and what they accomplished. But in his own hand, Wesley wrote, he, he said that on the day his mother died, we stood around the bed and we fulfilled her last request. She told her kids who were gathered, their children, as soon as I'm released, sing a song of praise to the Lord. She was looking forward to her home going. She had worked, she had labored, she had raised a family largely by herself. She had shaped young men and women who were going to go and shape the world. And she knew that her journey was completed and she was ready to meet Jesus. I was reading out of that journal and I found myself wondering how powerful could our lives be if we could live like that and then face death, entering our final moments with so much hope and peace and faith. I sat back in my chair and I thought to myself, actually, friends, we can. In fact, we should. We ought to face life's final moments with that type of peace. As Christ followers, as believers, as Christians, we all possess the same hope that she possessed. The same eternal destination that she was journeying toward, we also are journeying toward. We come to the end of chapter 15. We've looked this chapter over verse by verse. Paul has sought to challenge those who deny the reality of the resurrection. He has told them about the people who saw the Lord. He's told them about how God raised him from the dead. He has done everything in his power to prove this very event. We've engaged each one of his statements and each one of his arguments. And now, in this final verse, Paul presents a challenge to those of us who believe. To those of us who call ourselves by the name of Christ. 
he gives us a challenge about how we ought to live. And I want us to look at this one verse. Say, man, one verse. This must be a short sermon. Don't hold your breath. If you do, we'll try to save you, all right? It isn't going to be long, but it is going to be very direct and to the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. If you found that verse, if you're there, if you can, will, I would invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His inspired Word. As brief as it may be, here are the powerful words with which Paul summarizes this chapter. Therefore, my dear brothers... Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you this morning to bless the reading of your word. I pray that as we spend these few moments together, you would speak truth into our hearts. Make these words like seed that takes root in our lives, grows to abundant harvest, and touches and supplies the need of lives all around us. Father, shape us into what you want us to be today, for your glory, for your honor, forever and ever. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The verse begins with, therefore. It's the summary statement. Paul is saying, therefore, everything I've said prior to this, every argument I've made, every debate I've engaged in, everything I have shared with you, take all of that into account, therefore, and look at these words. Paul shared with his readers a great divine revelation of what God had done, how he had done it through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to understand, great divine revelations should always call us to live at the highest possible level. So Paul explains what that highest possible level should look like in the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ. And he does it in three ways. And I want us to just look at this verse, break it down into these three ways. And I want you to understand. First off, go back to the therefore. Therefore, in light of the resurrection. Therefore, knowing that the resurrection is real. Knowing that Jesus is alive. Knowing that the Father God raised his son from the grave on the third day. Because you know this. Because we have proven this. Because you concur with this. Therefore, the knowledge of the coming resurrection should lead us to be faithful. We know the resurrection is coming. Why? Because the resurrection has come. It has come through Jesus Christ. It awaits us, but the first fruits have already come forth from the grave. We are called to be faithful. You say, what do you mean by that? Look back at the verse. You got your Bible open. Don't close it. Stay right there. He says, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Be faithful. 
Don't surrender. Don't give ground. Don't retreat. Don't back up. Don't ever say we can't. We aren't able to. We aren't strong enough. We aren't big enough. We aren't rich enough. The we aren't don't belong. He says you stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Don't ever back up. Don't ever back down. Listen, he was writing to the people in Corinth. Corinth was a tough place. It was a seaport city. But it was also being a a center of commerce. It was also a center of pagan worship. And these believers were constantly being tempted with a variety of different sins. There was the opportunity to cheat in business. There was the opportunity to take advantage of people. There was the opportunity to lie to those you were doing business with in order to gain advantage. There was also, because of the pagan worship, the opportunity to engage in sexual immorality that was tied to false religions. All of this existed, and they were caught in the middle of it. So Paul says, look, with your knowledge of the coming resurrection, knowing that Jesus rose, and knowing that you too will be raised in his likeness, you should be motivated, brothers and sisters, to stand firm. Don't let anything or anybody move you. Don't give any ground. Remain true to your convictions in Jesus Christ. These are powerful words. Stand firm. It's kind of like saying, fellas, shoulder to shoulder, bow up. Hold one another accountable. The person on your right, the person on your left, they depend, their survival depends upon you doing what's right. Let's all hold one another accountable. Let's all line up. Let's all bow up. Let's all stand firm. The motivation for the coming resurrection ought to be all that we need to be challenged to do that. It was tough in Corinth, but I want to tell you something. We, we need to learn from these Corinthian brothers and sisters because it's not easy today. Oh, listen, we don't live in a seaport town, at least not yet. We're waiting on a big rain this afternoon. But we live in a world that is constantly challenging our faith. We too are surrounded by sin. We're dwelling in a world that has determined anything you want to decide to do, it's okay. We call it moral relativism. There is no right or wrong. It's just what you think is right for you. My friends, I want to challenge you. Read Paul's words and determine to live these words. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't let the world change your convictions. Don't let the world take the word of God and remove it from your head and from your heart and move you in a direction that you know deep down inside is wrong. Stand firm. Plant yourself. Refuse to be moved. Be faithful. I love over in the book of Revelation, those letters to the seven churches. I love the way Jesus addresses his people directly. But I also love the way he closes those letters. I've always been hung up on these words. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. Stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Our knowledge of the coming resurrection 
should lead us to be faithful. That's what Paul wanted them to get. But it's not enough just to be faithful. We've got to impact our world. I look around this room and I I see a number of faces that I saw all week long. They look a little bit better rested this morning than they did on Friday morning. We made our way through another week of vacation Bible school. Some have already been to kids camp. Youth camp is yet to come. Vacations are going on. All types of family activities. It's so easy to get busy. It's so easy to get worn down. It's so easy to get tired. It's so easy to say, I'll I'll sit this one out. It's so easy to say, I'll just take this one off. But we need to understand something. We are called to be faithful, but it's not going to stop there. Our knowledge of the coming resurrection should call us to service, to be engaged, to be a part of what God is doing, to connect to it. This is a call to service. Did you see what Paul wrote? Look again at verse 58. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. There are three keys in this phrase that you need to grab a hold of. The first key is the word always. I hope you understand what always means. Always means the opposite of sometimes. Always means when it is convenient and when it is inconvenient. Always means when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Always means when you are well rested and full of energy and when you are worn down to a nub and don't think you can go another 10 steps. Always. Always give yourselves fully. Did you say that word fully? That's your second key. God does not expect, ask for, or accept halfway. We're not called to do a little bit. We're not called to give halfway effort. No, fully. Always give yourself fully to what? The work of the Lord. His work. I, people always wonder, well, what's the work of the Lord? How are you going to define that? Well, I think, you know, Paul's already been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world before he even gets to the point of writing this letter. So certainly we know that that that's involved in it, but can I tell you something? It, It means more than just what we consider normal. It goes beyond preaching and teaching and evangelizing. All of those things are included, but it also means feeding the hungry. Caring for the sick, befriending the outcast, seeking out the lost, helping people to understand and not just to hear a gospel, but to see the gospel. Not just to hear that God loves them, but to show them that God loves them. Not just to tell them that Jesus is their greatest hope, but to show it to them with our own actions and be the hands and the feet of Jesus himself. That's the pattern we ought to be following. You know what it does, though? It makes us sometimes just get really way outside our comfort zone. Any of y'all ever been outside your comfort zone? Ever been outside your comfort zone for the gospel? If you haven't, you haven't been obedient yet. 
Because I'm just telling you, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are super Christian. I don't care if you are the most devout, pious, God-serving, God-following, God-loving person that I will ever meet. And if you are, I am thrilled by that. But I want you to understand something. God will eventually call you to step outside of your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to do something. He's going to ask you to touch someone or to serve someone or to go somewhere or to give something that is going to make you feel so uneasy, you're going to say, God, surely there's somebody else you can get to do this. And you know what he's going to do? If you listen real close, you'll hear him laugh at you. Say, God doesn't do that. Yes, he does, because, see, God stepped out of his comfort zone. He left the throne room of glory and put on skin and came and dwelt among us. He walked our dirty, dusty roads. He touched our leprosy. He healed our wounds. He gave hearing and sight to the deaf and the blind. He gave the ability to walk to those who were lame, those who were outcast and considered untouchable and unclean. He touched them and made them clean. Those who were broken with sin like that woman at the well, no one else wanted to talk to her or be around her. He sits down and has a conversation with her and explains to her how much God loved her. Say, well, that's easy. He's God. Oh, listen, he didn't belong on the side of a well outside of Sychar, he belonged on the throne in heaven. He left the comfortable place to come to the uncomfortable place. And if you ever doubt that he was outside his comfort zone, you read about the crucifixion and you tell me how comfortable that was. No. He'll call you outside of your comfort zone. He'll ask you to do something touch someone, go somewhere, you never imagined you would. You've all had experiences. I'm just going to tell you this. I grew up through the 60s, 70s. Some of our students don't understand what the Cold War really was. Some of you say, oh yeah. We remember. You remember the duck and tuck drills in school? Like getting under your desk and curling up in a ball is going to save you from a nuclear bomb. It made us feel safe before we died. I grew up in that area. Many of you did too. I remember walking through Red Square in Moscow with my aunt. She told me, said, you realize that my daddy's spinning like a top in his grave right now, don't you? Yeah. I remember stepping to a pulpit in a church in St. Petersburg, Russia, and looking out and seeing all of those people there. But you know what else I saw? That there were also a number of men there who were in uniform. The uniform that I had grown up being told to fear, to be wary of. And there I stood in a pulpit, and it was like, God, you're really going to make me tell them that you love them? You're going to make me tell them that Jesus died even for them? 
silence. I was waiting for God to say, no, Tim, I excuse you. Here's your note from heaven. Go home. (laughs) It didn't happen. And I preached that morning. And I watched as people came to Christ. And I watched as some of those men in uniform from the back came to meet their pastor down front. And I sat there with tears rolling down my face as I listened to them. I I recognized the tune. I didn't understand the words. But I know what they were singing. Ring the bells of heaven. Because they knew that their brothers and sisters had just come home. Folks, I want to tell you something. I was outside my comfort zone. I've been there a lot of times before that, and I've been there a lot of times since that. And the only reason I tell you that is because I want you to understand God will call you outside your comfort zone. We've got to stop and look at this and make this get really personal. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Fully. Even when you're uncomfortable doing it. How are you involved in the work of the Lord? What are you engaged in? I I know we've got people here who taught in Bible school. I know we've got people here this morning who taught Sunday school. I know we've got people here who are engaged in all different types of ministries. But I'm just asking you, do a little self-inspection. How involved are you in the work of the Lord? Are you fully involved? See, most people will give themselves fully to something. For some, it will be their family. For some, it'll be a job. For some, it may be a political party or a booster club or or, or a civic organization. Everybody finds something that's of value and worth to them, and they give themselves fully to it. I, I want us to be very clear this morning. I want us to be very clear about this today. If we belong to Jesus Christ, if we have been born again into the kingdom, if we have been granted forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, The claim of Christ and his kingdom on our lives should be the most important thing we have. In light of the coming resurrection, in light of the judgment that is to follow, and and the day when we will have to give an accounting for all that we have said or done or not said or not done, we should always be encouraged to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Our knowledge of the coming resurrection should lead us to be faithful. It should call us to service. But I want you to see one more thing with me. It should help us to be confident. Our knowledge of the coming resurrection should help us because, well, what do you mean? I'm already confident. No. I want to remind you of something, and I have to remind myself of this occasionally. Sometimes I just pull this verse out and spend a morning with it because I get frustrated. I get discouraged. I I find myself wanting to throw my hands up and say, Lord, these sheep you put in here, I can't deal with them anymore. We can't get going the right direction. We can't get along. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. And when I look at this verse, here's what I read. Therefore, my dear, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully 
to the work of the Lord. You ready? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We may not feel it. We may not see it. We may not understand it, but God is getting it done. The certainty of the resurrection is also our certainty that our lives and our labors in the kingdom of God have meaning. These believers in Corinth, like so many people today, were chasing things of little value. They were gathering things that had no eternal meaning. It's always been frustrating for those who have stuff to look and realize, man, that didn't take care of my wants. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you've never read it, it was written by a man known as the preacher. Truth of the matter is, his name was Solomon. Wise, wealthy beyond imagination. But he decided to deliver a message. And if you haven't read it, here's what you will find is the ultimate quality of the book of Ecclesiastes. This statement. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. What he was saying is you can get everything, you can do everything, you can gather everything, you can accumulate everything, you can save everything, you can own everything, and it still means nothing. You can't take it with you. It's not going to do you any good. Solomon was an old man when he wrote, wrote this, and he's looking at the end of life and saying, you know, i got all this stuff, and I've missed so many important things. I've got all this stuff, but I'm going to breathe my last, and none of it's going with me. It's all staying here. Man, contrast that with what Paul is saying here about serving God. It's not about gathering stuff. It's not about what you get. It's not about what you accumulate. But he says this, if you're serving the Lord, remember this, your labor is not in vain. The difference between a full and fulfilling life and a discouraging and empty life is found in serving the Lord and living in confidence of the resurrection and letting God use you to accomplish what he desires. So that brings me down to this place where I'm about done. But I want to ask you a question. Is your life full today? Is your life full? Be honest. You don't have to tell me, but be honest with yourself. See, too many people today are living lives without meaning or purpose. Even inside the church. A lot of folks inside the church have gotten hung up in peripheral stuff and they've lost sight of what's most important. I was reading one gentleman, he made a statement. I thought, wow, this guy nailed it. So if you're one of those people who's always looking for a great, great phrase, here it is. Many people give first-rate loyalty to second-rate causes. And that's what a lot of folks are doing with their lives. They're giving first-rate loyalty to second-rate causes. Their priorities are out of whack. 
Their values have gotten misaligned. We need to remind ourselves and we need to remember what is most important. Engage in the most important things. Engage in the work of the Lord fully and completely and be reminded every day that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because the resurrection is before us. Let me simply remind you, friends, our work is not wasted when we serve the Lord. When we are serving the Savior, we are fulfilling our highest purpose and our highest cause. Over the last several months, with several interruptions, we've worked our way through this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, section by section. We brought in some other passage that tied together with it. But can I just tell you what my belief is? And I know you're going to say, well, you're a preacher. Of course you're going to say that. But I want to tell you something. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that the resurrection is reality. I have no doubt that there is a life beyond this life, that there is something more to look forward to than the best this world has to give. And what that means is this, that there is an eternity, there is an eternal reality. That means that heaven is real, which also means that hell is real. And both of them are just a heartbeat away. So you need to know which one is for you today. Do you know the risen Christ? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Have you taken the free gift that he offers of forgiveness and salvation and new life? And if not, why not today? He's the one. He's the one who lived. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose again. He is the one who is the first fruits, the proof, the living proof of the resurrection and its reality. And he longs for us to join him for eternity in the presence of the Father. And today, he offers salvation, forgiveness, new life, hope. It's a gift. Gifts are only good if you receive them. I'll promise you this. When I was growing up as a child, if there was one package left unopened under the tree on Christmas morning, I was down there crawling to get to it. It might not have been mine, but I was going to find out who it belonged to. Because it just did not seem right that a gift was offered and a gift was not received. This morning, God's offering you a gift. And he's doing it because he loves you. He has a plan for your life, a purpose for you. You, You're not just here by chance. You're not just an accident that happened to walk through the doors. You are here because God loves you. He wants you to hear this morning that this is his truth for you. You were created for more than just being a walking mass of tissue for however many years. Today, today he offers you forgiveness. He offers you salvation. He offers you a new life. And I know what happens. People come into church and they bring all their stuff with them. And there are people who look at me and say, preacher, you don't understand who I am. 
You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've been involved with. If you people in this place, I love those you people statements, don't you? If you people in this church knew what I've done and you, you wouldn't let me sit here among you. I want to tell you something. God knows everything you've done. And he loves you in spite of it. And he's calling you to himself. And here's what he says. If you will confess your sins, he'll forgive you and cleanse you. He'll do it. Why would he do that for you? Because it's not his desire that any should perish. But that everyone would come to repentance. Is he calling you today? I'm pleading with you. For lack of a better way of saying it, crawl under the tree and unwrap that last package. It'll be the most fulfilling thing that ever happens in your life. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment. Because I want to give you the opportunity to respond this morning to what God may be saying to you. It might be that you're here and you want that relationship with him. I can't make that happen, but I can guide you to where you can make that decision for yourself. We'd love to do that. No one will push you. No one will force you. We'll just simply share with you. It may be that you're here this morning and you brought some stuff in with you and you're saying, man, if you just knew more about who I am, you wouldn't be talking to me like this. Yes, I would. You know why? Because Jesus would be talking to you like this. In fact, he probably is right now. He's calling you. I want to invite you. Receive what he offers. Maybe you brought in your brokenness, your wounds, your hurts. Today, he can offer you healing and hope. Would you receive it? Maybe you're looking for a church home, a place where you can connect and, and you can serve and you can be served. You can minister and you can be ministered to. If this is where God's led you, if this is what he's brought you to, we want to invite you to be a part of this body. Maybe you're struggling at work. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. My friend, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. And he brought you here today so he could speak to you about it. He's speaking now. The question is, what will you do when you hear the voice of God? You have to decide. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Challenging and yet inviting. Telling us who you are in light of who we are. Helping us to realize that it's not hopeless. Life is not futile because you're still in the business of changing lives one at a time. So, Father, we come before you right now just thanking you. Thanking you for your goodness. Thanking you for your love. Thanking you for your gift. And, Father, if there's one here who doesn't know you, today your spirit is calling them, drawing them. I pray, Father, don't let them walk away. Draw them to yourself that this would be the day of celebration, the day of new birth. Father, for those who came in here perhaps broken, wounded, hurting, struggling, I pray for your healing to be applied to their lives as they cry out to you.
Father, for all your children in this room, I pray that you would give us confidence in the coming resurrection. Knowing that because of what Jesus has done and what you have done through him, we can look to the future with hope as we serve, work, and labor through this life, looking to the future. Now, Father, I know your word does not go out and return to you void. So I pray that now you would take what's been offered, that you would apply it to hearts and lives, that you would open minds, that you would give understanding, that you would draw and invite, and that we would respond in obedience to your direction for each of our lives. Father, have your way. Be glorified in this place. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.